Uh, so let me pray, and we're going to ask God as we uh, look at Hebrews chapter 4 that his word's going to speak to us. Pray with me. Father, thank you that your word is indeed alive and active. Lord, your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, your word tells us that it penetrates our hearts. And we pray, Lord, today that your word would penetrate our hearts. And that might be hurt or be painful, or, but also good. So do some surgery today. Speak to us. Help me to preach. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I love, as I say, I love watching these videos because here's, here's the guy uh, who he's running. I mean, I don't know what training he's done. I don't know what the preparation is, but he's run. He's got to the point. He's run the race. He's done everything he needs to do to get the victory. And then he just relaxes slightly. And he's thinking, I've already won it. I've relaxed. And when he comes through the finish line, he, he misses out. He, he gets pipped at the post. He misses out on the victory. And it's a picture of what we're talking about in Hebrews 4 of what the writer to Hebrews is warning Christians can happen. He's warning these uh, Christians are mostly made up of, that he's writing to, people who were Jewish and they've come to the point where they've said, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus, I'm going to follow God. And as they put their trust in Jesus, they receive that salvation. But the writer is encouraging them because during that time when this was written, there was great persecution for Christians. It was only getting ramped up. Uh, This is around AD 60, 64, something like that. In AD 70, the the temple was uh, burned. Uh, Jews were getting kicked out of Rome. There was great pressure to be Christian. Christians were looked down on, they were feared, they were the outcast group. And there was great pressure to say, you know what, I've trusted in Christ, but I want my sins forgiven, I want salvation, but I don't know if it's worth it. Maybe I should go back to Judaism. Maybe I should let my faith go. And it's like this runner, you know, the victory has been won, Jesus has won that victory, but there's a pressure to say, yeah, I've been saved, but can I hang on to my salvation. I love what the guy in that video said. He said, you know what, I got comfortable. And this is what this passage is all about. For them and for us, can we get comfortable? And if we get comfortable, we can trust God for salvation, but if we're not continuing our faith, we're in danger of losing it. And this is the warning. Um, Hebrews uh, 4 verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you uh, be found to have fallen short of it. This is the warning. And I thank Simone uh, for doing a little reference. Whenever there's a therefore in a passage, we've got to look back. And if anyone remembers Ian's sermon uh, last week, you may not because there was, you know, he shared his news and after his sermon. But if you remember his sermon, he talked about Uh, this idea of uh, running the race and this idea of uh, people not entering the rest. And there's a reference here back to uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament who trusted God but uh, through their unfaithfulness did not enter God's rest. The encouragement here is let us not be like that. So what is 
the rest. What is the rest that he's talking about? There's three types of rest in the passage. I hope that if you've got your Bibles, uh, look at them. Um, if you uh, go back this week and have a look at it. But there's at least, you can actually probably argue for more, three types of rest in this passage gonna, we're going to cover today. Rest for the Israelites in the promised land. God's eternal rest after creation. And the rest offered to Christians. And the writer jumps in first with this idea of the rest of the promised land for the Israelites. What's he talking about? I want you to remember, if you've read or if you haven't, the stories in the Old Testament, in Exodus, of God's people. They're caught in slavery in Egypt. And what does God do? He rescues them. He, sends, he raises up Moses. He sends plagues. Uh, he helps them, tells them to cover their doors with the blood of the lamb so that when he passes over, they won't uh, receive the judgment. Uh, God brings them out of Egypt and even culminating at the Red Sea, he takes care of Pharaoh's army. God saves his people out of slavery. But what happens? They're saved. God leads them. What do they do? They start to grumble. God, you don't know what you're doing. God... This manner, this, you know, I want some more bread and water and, you know, I want better clothes and I, I want to know we're going. I don't want to grumble, grumble, grumble. It leads to unfaithfulness. Gets to the point where they're so unfaithful when Moses up Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, what do they do? They build a golden calf. God saved them. They trusted God through that salvation process. But once it came to going on the journey, they stopped trusting in God, and God judged them. This is from Numbers. This is what God's judgment is. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobey me and tested me ten times, this is the judgment, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one has treated me uh, with contempt will ever see it. They stopped being faithful. And so this is what is happening in Hebrews 3 before we get to this therefore. Just a reminder from last week, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt? With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? When I think about this, I go, didn't they see like columns? Didn't they walk, like they actually walked through the Red Sea? How could they forget that and not Keep on trusting in God. But they forgot their faith. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter because of their disbelief. And that is the danger for us, too. Because the Israelites, they were saved from slavery. God promised them rest. Come in the promised land. I'm going to give you a land that you can make your own. You have rest from your journey, rest from wandering in the desert, rest from slavery. But they had to journey and keep trusting in God to enter that rest. And they were unfaithful and didn't enter that rest. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, Christians, you guys are in the same danger. You're in the very same danger danger because we are saved and those christians we're saved from the slavery of sin if we this morning have come to that point we've said i'm trusting in jesus we've been saved from sin 
And God promises each and every one of us rest, eternal rest. And we can get that rest now, but we know that rest fully. But we have to, we've still got a journey of life to go on. We don't get saved from our sins and die. We've got a journey of life to go on. We still have to go on a journey. So we have to keep being faithful to God. Look at verse 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Just because you're hearing the message doesn't mean you're trusting in it. Many of us here, you know, there was a time, we've, uh, we can look back in our lives, where we've gone, I am trusting in Jesus for my salvation. And many of us here come to church every week. That's what we do. We hear God's word. You know, we engage with it. Does that mean we're trusting in it? That's what we've got to do. We've actually got to reconcile and go, yeah, I'm going to trust in it. Sometimes it's hard, but that's the journey. We've got to keep on trusting in God or in that same danger. So the writer uh, goes on and he starts looking at it in terms of God's rest in God's creation. Chapter uh, Verse 3. Now we have, who have believed enter that rest... Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. He's quoting, uh, uh, he's quoting there uh, from Psalm 95. We're going to get some. He's going to quote Psalm 95 a few times, uh, but it's a reminder that quote. Don't take it for granted. Don't assume just because you trusted God for salvation that you can stop trusting in God for the rest of your life. He's saying, he's warning them that God told you know, those Israelites they didn't enter my rest. That's a danger for you as well. And he leads into talking about creation. Verse 4 and 5, For somewhere he, has spo- somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. So that first quote there is coming from Genesis. And it's the creation story. Uh, and I don't know if you've read Genesis lately, but what happens? Genesis 1 tells the story of God creating the world in six days. And what does he do on the seventh day? He rests. This is the end of chapter 1 and into chapter, into chapter 2 of Genesis. God saw all that he had made. This is the end of the sixth day. And it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, and on the seventh day, God rested. And it was such a special day to God. What does he do? Then God blessed the seventh day. He makes it a holy day. Because on it, he rested from all his work of creating all that he'd done. God, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is pointing back to God who works for six days, and he goes in to his rest. God values this rest so much He wants his people to also enter into that rest. So much so that when he draws Israel out and he gives them the Ten Commandments, he actually builds in instructions for keeping that rest, enjoying that rest. It's such a part of their humanity and and how God uh, wants them to be. The fourth commandment says this. The commandments, all the commandments started with, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, I've saved you. 
So, fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's a day of rest. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your slaves nor your animals. You know, your animals can't even do any work, nor the foreigner. For God, why? Because this is what God did. God spent six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why do you think God puts a Sabbath day in there? It's good. I love having a day off. I think there's a practical to that. I, I, I love that our society does it, or does it less and less. Some of you are thinking, gee, I'd love a day off once a week. That would be nice. But why does he do it? It's a reminder to them that once a week, a reminder saying, you are not in slavery anymore. You are not a slave to another nation, Egypt. You actually get a day off. You're not slaves. You actually get a day off. And I want you to go and enjoy, just as God enjoyed the creation that he made, enjoy creation. They can enjoy the fruits of their work. Even the animals can. But it imitates what God has done in taking a rest. And it's a pointer to an eternal rest to come. I love having a day off. Uh, I love going fishing if I have a day off. I love just, no matter what's going on in my world, at least I can just watch the waves and reel in a little fish and stuff. You know, I love doing that. But the problem with having a day off is it's never, it's never long enough. Because you have a Sunday off, Monday's coming, yeah? But there's a little part of that, us, that we love it. We look forward to our day off. We look forward to that time of rest. And I actually think that's a little part of what God is doing in us, longing for that rest. I think God set up this Sabbath day for his people because he's encouraging them as a longing for something to come, longing for a rest to come. And I think this is what the writer to the Hebrews uh, is saying. God has given us this weekly rest. He's given those people, his people, a weekly rest because he's pointing to a rest that is to come. He says, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in it because of the disobedience, referring back to the Israelites, God set a certain day, calling it today. This he did a long time later when he spoke through his son David, in the passage already quoted, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This rest... Is available for us entering into God's eternal rest. And listen to these words. It's a quote from Psalm 95. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, this word today, that was written 3,000 years ago. But it's still just as relevant. That rest that God wants to lead us into is still on offer today, uh, Sunday, March 1st, 2020, here in Fig Tree. Today, if you hear God's voice, God can speak to us in so many ways. A key way this passage is going to talk about is through his word. When we hear God's voice, when, we, when, we send, when God's talking to us, we can lean in or we can lean out. And if we lean away out, if we lean away from God, our hearts can harden. 
It's a reminder. Today, if you hear his voice, lean in. Because the more you lean out, your heart can get harder and harder. Don't harden your hearts. Don't ignore it. I don't know what life is like. I don't know, as you look back on your, if you're trusting in Jesus, you look back on your Christian walk, are there areas where you have trusted God more in faith? Or are there areas that you aren't trusting in God like you used to? When you first really consciously said, I'm going to follow Jesus, how was your faith then compared to how it is now? Is it harder? One of the ways that our hearts get hardened is sin. Is when we recognize areas where we're not following God, but we don't, we just keep on ignoring it. We put it to the side. Our hearts get hardened. And it, it's a danger. Because for us who trust in Jesus, we remember, yes, I trusted in Jesus, you know, and many of you can even say a date or a time or something like that, can say, yeah, I put my trust in Jesus. And now he's promising, he brings me this rest, he's promising this rest. I have to go on this journey. To trust him. But how are we going on that journey? Are we trusting more or are we trusting God less? It's Jesus who says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'll, go on that. I'll take you on that journey. We need to keep our faith in him. What else does Jesus say? What is this rest? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls in me. Rest is trusting in Jesus for salvation. Rest is going, I'm going to trust in Jesus. That's true rest. And we know that because God gives us great peace when we trust in him. I, look, I don't know for you, the, the more, when I look back through my life, the times I've been most peaceful have been the times when I've most trusted in Jesus. They've also been the times when I've had more stress around me, but yet there's great peace and trust in Jesus. We can know that now, but it's the true rest that comes in spending eternity with Jesus. Come to me, all you who are burdened, I will give you rest. The Son of Man is, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Our true rest confined in Jesus, not just for salvation, but continually for our lives. So the writer says, therefore, taking all that, let us make every effort to enter that rest. Do whatever you've got to do. The Greek is a word that I know won't sound like this, but spudadzo. Spudadzo. Such a word. But it means make every effort, be diligent, work hard, uh, endeavour, do everything we can to enter that rest. Do everything we can to keep on trusting In Jesus, keep on trusting in God, keep on putting our faith in God no matter what. Let me make this very clear. This is not keeping on doing good things to earn your salvation. But it's saying, I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation and I'm going to keep on trusting in him. 
I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going on a game show called Deal or No Deal. Do you remember that? Deal or No Deal? No Deal. It was really cool. I went on with some friends. We won $20,000. It was really cool. And when we went on, one of the th- when we came off, the producer said, here's what we'll do. You've won. You've won the prize. But we're not going to send you a check until the show goes to air. So they pre-recorded in April. I didn't know when it was going to go to air. And they said, uh, we'll put the show to air, but a couple of conditions. Don't go on social media and tell everyone what's happened. We'd want to be a surprise. And don't go commit some dumb crime that you're going to be on the news, you know, for drug possession or something, and then, you know, then you'll be on deal or no deal. It's not a good look. Um, if you do those things, then you'll get the prize money. So for me, I'd, I'd got the victory. We'd run the game show. But I had to hang out and wait to get the prize. Does that make sense? Now, I just had to keep pretty low-key, and we got it. I had to trust them that they'll put the show to air. You know, the TV station could have gone bankrupt or anything could have happened. Finally, it went to air, um, and it was, you know, it was lots of fun. But I had to wait. Just play it safe. Go low-key, waiting till that happened. Jesus, for us, has won the prize. He's done the work on the cross of giving us that eternal life. But for us, it's not just a matter of low-key. We have to keep trusting in Jesus. Keep it. Keep, keep trusting in Jesus. Keep making every effort, whatever we need to do, that's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your, with all your strength. Keep on loving God. Keep on trusting uh, in him completely. How do we do that? Uh, the final verses, 12 and 13, if you've read this passage, if you're going to read it this week, they might seem a bit random. All of a sudden he starts talking about reading God the Bible. Like, is this out of context? Is it, you know? I think the writer is keen to say, really keen to encourage that to help keep maintaining that faith, you've got to keep in touch with God's Word. You've got to keep reading God's Word. Uh, I've had the privilege of reading uh, the Bible with some people uh, who've been coming to our evening service, uh, who, who, are, who wouldn't call themselves, uh, who are still trying to work out, can they trust in Jesus themselves? And we, last week we talked about relationship. And like, how can... You have a relationship, and this is the main way that God speaks to us. It's a bit weird, like having a relationship with a book. And yeah, it does sound weird. Um, but God's word is alive and active. God, through his word, speaks to us. He speaks to us in lots of ways, but we know for sure God is speaking to us through his word. When I, I don't know what Bible reading for you is like. I don't know what your regular devotion. Some of you may never have done it. Some of you maybe have did it once. Maybe some of you are great. Every morning, every day, you read God's Word. There's a problem with reading God's Word, isn't there? When you come to God's Word, it gets to the heart of things, doesn't it? And sometimes there's stuff going on and you go, I don't want to have to read. If I read God's Word, it's going to bring up where I'm at with God. Maybe it's easier not to. Or maybe it starts off like that. And then you don't read God's word and then another day goes by, another week, another year, another decade, and you're totally out of the habit of reading God's word. Bible says that the word of God is alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. I have two fishing knives. 
One is blunt as anything. And I always take it out because I'm probably going to drop it on a rock somewhere and it's going to lose it anyway. But I'm always have to saw through, you know. And then uh, for my birthday, I got a new fishing knife. And it's so, when you cut, just straight into that. You just got to rest the knife on it and it just slots in. And this is what God's, actually Johnny has a really good fishing knife. I've used Johnny's fishing knife too. has a very good, because it's so sharp and it just gets to the heart. Passages saying God's word is like a really sharp knife. It cuts straight to the heart. Dividing uh, joints and marrow, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges us. Sometimes I can convince my heart that I'm good, that I'm good with God, things are good. And sometimes they are. But when I read God's word, that's going to really show for where things are at. So it's easy to just not read God's word sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And it's easy over time, I don't know if this is resonating with anyone, but it's easy over time to not get in the habit of reading God's word or to go, actually, I'd rather agree with another way of how the world thinks about things. Reading God's word, it's hard sometimes. It's, this passage is a hard passage to understand. It's, it takes energy and effort, doesn't it? You've got to get in the zone. Sometimes, you know, there's a passage that doesn't seem to relate. You know, oh God, I don't want to think about that because that's not what I'm thinking about and all the things I'm thinking about in my life. Reading God's word is a barometer for how we're going in our faith. If I'm having faith and I'm trusting in God, but I'm not spending time exposing myself to God's word, what does that say about my faith? I'm really excited. Um, as Shane mentioned, we've got Richard Bogonan. Uh, sorry, yeah, Bogonan. Bogonan? I was saying Bogonan, I told Shane that. Anyway, this guy is from the UK. He's worked uh, with a guy called Rico Tice. He's put together this tool. I can't encourage enough next Sunday. He's going to be preaching at the services. But he's going to be talking about uh, how do we, can we just sit down with someone for a coffee and just ask, just ask someone, can I just stand with you for a coffee? Just, do you want to read one chapter of the Bible together as a way of sharing faith? And you might have seen that notice and go, that's not for me. Evangelism, that's scary. That's not for me. I'm not even going to go there. If you have next Sunday afternoon free, even if you're not sure, even if it doesn't, come in here. This guy is uh, going to connect with him. You're going to see him at the services. But this workshop is going to be really good to help us think about how can we bring God's word to someone. As I said, I've been reading uh, the Bible uh, with a couple of people before the service. Uh, we're reading through John's Gospel. And it's amazing because we talk about it and there's so many things that don't make sense, but they keep on coming back next week. It doesn't make sense, but can we read it again? It's intriguing because it cuts to the heart. Are we going to let God's word cut to our heart? Are we going to let the Holy Spirit use God's word to cut to our heart? I don't know. It's only a matter of trust. I don't know how this hits you today. I don't know. If you are here this morning, and maybe you've never put your trust in Christ for salvation. That's our invitation today. Put your trust in Christ. Say to God, I actually want to trust you and what you've done on the cross. I want to put my trust in you. And if you haven't done that or you're thinking about that, we've got copies of Luke's Gospel. 
out the back. Or, well, I've got John's Gospel I can bring down later on, so we're going to talk about it next week. Read through, do the hard work of, of reading through Scripture. But for us here, if we've already put our trust in God for salvation, where is your trust at? How are you going with trust? Are we fully embracing getting into God's Word and going, I trust what this says? Even that verse, God's Word is alive and active. Do you trust it? Not just know it, read it. Are we actually going, yeah, I'm going to let God's Word shape me, transform me? Where's our trust at? Are we trusting God more than when we started out on our journey? This week, do we need to do some honest work with God and say, God, I'm looking back, I don't trust you like I did. Or maybe I'm trusting you more than, you know, I've grown in trust in this area, but in this area, you know, I've let sin get in. Do we need to encourage each other to keep trusting in God? Not just trusting God for salvation, but to keep trusting him as we go on that journey to enter that rest. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross. He set us free from the slavery of sin. He's done all the work. There's nothing, no more work that we can do. And we thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, through salvation in Jesus, we can have rest for our souls, rest in this life and rest for eternity. We can enter God's rest. But God, we have to go on a journey of life to enter that rest. Father, where's our faith at? Father, we pray, I pray, we pray for your Holy Spirit in us. Show us, God, where's our faith? We're still trusting in you. Do we need to trust more? We, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit in us to help us to keep trusting in you, that we will not miss out on the rest that you offer us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.